It actually began during that period of time. The Hasidim became the experts. They became the leaders. They are what the Bible calls Pharisees. And those Pharisees during that time became so zealous of teaching people the rules and making them follow the rules that when Jesus came on the scene, the Son of God Himself, when Jesus came on the scene, they point blank rejected Him. You know why they rejected Him? He didn't keep their rules. He followed God, His Father, instead of the Pharisees and their rules. They rejected Him, plotted His death, and from a human point of view, murdered Him on the cross. You see, keeping trying your best to keep the rules never has worked. That whole story of Israel trying hard to keep the rules is meant for our understanding and our learning that that is not the way to live. Trying to keep the rules is the old covenant. It's natural to us. We know it. It's as natural as breathing to us who have been raised up under the law. But it will never work. In the contrast I left with you on the new and old covenant, the old covenant is trying to keep the rules and results in death. The new covenant, the covenant of grace, is led by the Spirit which results in life. And so having this contrast between the old and new covenant in mind, let's look at the promises of the new covenant, which our author in Hebrews describes for us as better promises. See, there were promises under the old covenant. If you behave yourself, God will bless you. That's a good promise, isn't it? The only problem is, you never have been able to behave yourself. So what's the better promise? The better promise is what the new covenant is all about. And let me just read those to you out of Hebrews chapter 8. So we just get a summary of them. Beginning in verse 6, he says, But now hath he, that is Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises for if that first covenant had been faultless then should no place have been sought for the second for finding fault with them he said behold the days come saith the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the old covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith he, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. 
And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins, and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now those are some pretty amazing promises when you stop and think about it. Amazing promises. And as Bill so aptly described it in his message last week, they were unilateral promises. It was an unconditional covenant. A covenant of grace whereby God simply announced, this is what I'm going to do for you that you can't do for yourself. So I want to take a little time now and consider these better promises with you. And we're going to start today with the first promise. And that's probably about as far as we're going to get today. Because it's an amazing promise. Read it again. He said, I'm going to put my law, my rules, into their minds. And I'm going to write my law on their heart. Now in order to appreciate that promise, you have to understand what the mind and the heart represent here. The mind is that part of your awareness, your consciousness, that you're aware of in your normal waking moments. That's called the conscious mind. That's what we use to perceive things around us. That's what we use to understand, to actually process our everyday lives while we're awake. The heart, however, as used in the Scripture, is not that organ in the center of your chest that pumps blood. The heart is the deepest part of your consciousness. It's what psychologists would refer to as your subconscious mind. It's the storehouse of every experience, good, bad, or ugly, that you've ever had that gets coded and stored downstairs in that repository of your experience. The function of memory is just simply to recall what's been stored downstairs in the subconscious mind into our conscious awareness. Now, most of us complain we have trouble with our memories. That's not the real problem we face. The real problem we face is not that we forget things. We don't remember. The real problem we face is we remember stuff when we don't want to, when we don't need to. So what we actually need is not a better memory, but a better forgettery, as we'll talk about later. You see, the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, God promises that He's going to work on. He's going to work on your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. Now obviously, from the Scripture, we can connect this to how God works through His Spirit 
living in the new person He's made you to be, to renew your minds. See, the same guy that recorded this new covenant and these terms were studied, these promises, Jeremiah, also stated that the heart was desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. There's our problem. So Jesus diagnosed this problem, by the way, in Matthew 15. I'm not going to take the time to turn there and read it to you. But He diagnosed this problem when He was embroiled in another bitter argument with the Pharisees. You see, His disciples were following along and they got hungry and they were walking through a field and they grabbed a handful of grain and they rubbed it together and then they popped it in their mouth and ate it. The Pharisees saw that and jumped on it. said, why are you violating the traditions of men? Why are you violating our traditions here? Your disciples are eating with unwashed hands. They made a big deal out of it. Jesus replied to them, why do you violate the law of God by your traditions? We won't get into that, but he went on to say, he made this radical statement. In the Jewish mind, it was very radical. And the statement was this. It is not what goes in the mouth that defiles a man. That's not the problem. Whatever goes in the mouth is processed and eliminated. The problem is what comes out of the mouth. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And the heart is full of evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, etc., etc. He said, these are the things that defile a man. Not to eat with unwashed hands. Now, what he is describing for us is the root of all our problems. That's why this first promise of the new covenant deals with the heart. It deals with the mind. Because it is in the mind that your decisions are made all day long. It's in that heart and mind that your emotions originate from, that your behavior comes from. It all comes from the mind and the heart. Everything you do, everything you say comes from your heart, from your mind, the way you think. And so this promise, this first promise of the new covenant is astounding. What God says, I know you've all been brainwashed. I know you're all crazy as a bedbug because of that. So I'm going to straighten it out. I'm going to work mightily by my spirit and put my laws in your mind and write them in your heart. In other words, what he's saying point blank is I know you can't behave yourself so I'm going to make you behave. Now lest you freak out and say, oh my God, He's going to make me behave by punishing me? No, that's not what He's talking about. 
He's talking about a miraculous work of His Spirit inside of you in the deepest part of your conscious, conscious mind, that heart, a miraculous working of His Spirit to create in you the desire, the want to, to do His will. Now, I'm reminded of the story that Tom's wife told, Verna, about their boy JT when he was a little guy. She had told him repeatedly, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. And in his frustration, he finally blurted out the truth of all our problems. Did you know that? You know what he said? He said, Mama, I can't want to. I can't want to do what you want me to do. See, there's the problem. We can't want to. We can't want to follow God's law. We can't want to naturally. It's impossible. So God says, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to give you my laws in your mind and in your heart. I'm going to create in you the desires to do what I want you to do. This is why Paul told the Philippians later, he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you through His Spirit, we could say, both to will, to want to, and to do His good pleasure. Now don't think of it in terms of the Old Covenant, in terms of, well, if I don't do it, I'm going to get punished. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is giving you the desire and the ability to live a supernatural life that is far more enjoyable than any other life you've ever experienced. He wants the best for you. He doesn't want a second-rate existence for you. As he says later, I want to be your God. And I want you to be my people. I want you to want what I have for you. So you'll receive it. Miraculous work in this first promise. Now Paul understood this in depth. And he reveals to us more about exactly how God works to write His law in our hearts through His Spirit. In Romans, he tells us that God, through His Spirit, works miraculously in us to actually cause this mortal, sin-cursed body that we're living in to come alive with the very life of Christ. You see, this is what he was talking about to the Galatians when he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, Christ. How do you get that faith of the Son of God? First promise of the New Covenant. He puts it in your heart. 
God doing for you what you can't do for yourself to give you this new life and a new covenant. Brand new lifestyle. Now, in that same book, book of Romans, or letter of Romans, Paul describes the difficulty because you sound, you say, well, this sounds too easy here. You mean all we got to do is just believe that God is working in us? That sounds simple, doesn't it? Sounds easy. But try it. That's all we got to do is believe. Exercise faith in God doing for us what we couldn't do for us. Yeah, that's right. But what does that take? To have that kind of faith of the Son of God. What does that take? It takes an agonizing process that Paul described in Romans chapter 7. Because we have been brainwashed and programmed under the old covenant, which, by the way, feeds the ego of the flesh, gives us something to be proud of. Because we've been so conditioned by that, it's a lot harder for us to believe what God is doing for us that we couldn't do for ourselves than we think. And what it takes to get to that point is what Paul experienced in Romans chapter 7. Some agony. What he described as a condition of wretchedness. Where did that wretchedness come from? It came from him as a believer, as a Christian, as a new person in Christ, as one who has been joined to Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. Him as a brand new creature trying to behave himself. Do you wonder why you as a Christian can't behave yourself? You wonder why you slip back into all that carnal thinking? You wonder why you're going backwards? Paul had the same problem. And he records this problem, by the way, 23 years after the road to Damascus. He had the same problem. So when we take it apart in Romans chapter 7, you learn this. He said, I find then a law, a principle, that when I would do good, keep the rules, evil is present with me. Have you found that? Have you discovered that yet? You will. I found this principle that whenever I want to do what's right, I have this evil present with me. For I myself, after the inward man, that is the new person that I am, I delight in the law of God. I want to do what God wants because I know it's the best thing for me. But, he goes on to say, I see another law in my members. Another principle. Working in my members. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin and death. In other words, I'm a POW to my own 
flesh. I can't make myself behave. Earlier in that same chapter, he wrote the same testimony saying, when I wanted to do what's right, I couldn't. I did what was wrong. When I wanted to quit doing what's wrong, I did it anyhow. Sound familiar? It should if you're a believer. It should sound real familiar to you because you're in the same position. So down at the end, he cries out in verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's what it takes to believe the first promise of the new covenant. You have to come to the wretchedness of the end of your performance the end of all your schemes and plans to save your own skin. You come to the end of all of that. He said, I can't do it. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to save me? You see, you as a believer, you need a Savior as much today as you did before you believed on Jesus. A Savior from what? The guilt and penalty of your sin? No, no, no. That's been taken care of. Your sins have been washed away. What about the habit, the dominion, the power of sin in your everyday life? And when I say sin, don't be talking about don't be thinking in your mind about these nasty little things that people do we call sin. Lying, cheating, all that kind of stuff. Don't be thinking about that. Think about the root of sin. It's unbelief. And inability to take God at His Word. God said He's done everything necessary to make you absolutely secure in His love and significant in His plan. Do you believe that or do you freak when stuff happens? See that unbelief? Later in Hebrews, we're going to come to that again in chapter 12 when he talks about the sin that does so easily beset us. What is that sin? It's not trusting God. That's what that sin is. Paul had to learn. Just like you and I have to learn. He had to learn that he couldn't do it. Even though he was born of the Spirit, even though he was raised up a Pharisee, even though he knew the law forwards and backwards, even though he had the willpower of a Pharisee, he could not save himself. He could not change himself. It was impossible. Now let's just throw in a little relational aside here, all right? If you can't change yourself, how in the hell are you going to change somebody else? So quit trying. You can't even change yourself. Well, they need to be changed. Yeah, I know your judgment is pure. I understand that. But you ain't going to change them. I guarantee you you're not going to change them. Based on the Word of God. You can't. You see, this first promise of the new covenant 
is God changing you from the inside out by His Spirit. It's what Jesus promised His disciples. Another comforter of the same type. I'll send to you another comforter just like I've been. He'll not only be with you, He will be in you. And what's He doing in there? In that new person God has made you to be. He's teaching you. He's guiding you into all truth. He's reminding you. He's comforting you. He's continually working in you to manifest the person God has made you to be. So this first promise of the new covenant is an amazing promise. I've done nothing today but scratch the surface of it. Of what God has, is, and will do for us according to His promise of the new covenant. Lord willing, we'll come back to the other promises next week. Let's pray. Father God, as we come into Your presence right now, we are so grateful for this promise, Father. Even a little bit we understand about it is exhilarating to know that you are working us, transforming us by the renewing of our minds from the inside out to be like your son Jesus, to give us that life he had and he lived on this planet. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you for the potential we have. We thank you for the privilege we have of hearing your voice and following your leadership in our life. We ask you to continue to minister that to us now teach us as only you can do. These things we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Appreciate you all being here. Go in peace according to the first promise of the new covenant. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes.